0: of the month to a live audience broadcast event from 9pm to after midnight at the Brooklyn Commons 388 Atlantic Avenue featuring dance, music, food and beverages, interesting topics, innovators and pop-up markets. To participate, visit www.afrobitradio.com and click on connect or look up hashtag WBAI New York.
1: Victory Boulevard to the Grand Concourse, from Jamaica Avenue to the Great White Way, and right here on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. It's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs, and so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show focused on the politics, policies, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits.
2: And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, good to see you. You too, Ben. Uh, so, We are talking here today basically one week before primary day, and Democratic voters especially need to be ready to vote on Thursday. It's a Thursday this year, September 13th. So the main three statewide races where there are competitive Democratic primaries and a whole bunch of primaries and legislative races are in full swing. There's a lot going on. We're here to break some of it down for you. Uh, We also have some great guests today uh, coming up.
1: We do. We have Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul coming up in just a very few minutes, and then we'll have a conversation recorded uh, mere hours ago with uh, Jumani Williams, the Brooklyn Councilman, who is challenging Ms. Hochul in the Democratic primary. And Ben, we've been talking for weeks now about these state and Senate races, about the statewide races for Attorney General, Governor, and Lieutenant Governor. And I think it's interesting coming out of the Kavanaugh hearings we've just been listening to Sometimes it probably seems to some listeners like what we're talking about on our show, you know, very local, very inside baseball. But but really, if you think about the stakes next Thursday, whether you were going to vote for Governor Cuomo or not, whether you like President Trump or not, I think it, there's a lot to be said for the statement that New York stands as a bulwark against the the trump era it's going to be a point of resistance whether you like that or not and a lot of these races are going to decide the tenor the nature maybe the success of that effort to be a different source of power in the country new york is just positioned to be that Governor Cuomo's positioning it that way, um, and these races will decide if he gets a chance to do that. Uh, what kind of attorney general he works with, what kind of legislature? And the stakes do connect from the national well, to the local picture.
2: Right. I mean, we have to be a little bit careful to not totally dismiss the possibility of a Republican winning, you know, a statewide seat, whether it's attorney general or or governor. Um, But that's very unlikely. New York has not had a Republican win statewide since 2002 when George Pataki won a third term as governor. So it's very unlikely, but we shouldn't totally dismiss it. But the primaries will absolutely determine the Democratic standard bearers in the state. The difference between Andrew Cuomo getting a shot at a third term and Cynthia Nixon shocking the world and unseating him in the primary would be seismic. Uh, She, you know, talks— quite a bit less about Trump than he does because she's trying to unseat him and he would rather focus on fighting Trump in the attorney general primary. You know, Trump is this major figure because maybe it's the attorney general rather over the governor that has the more important role vis-a-vis the federal government in terms of bringing lawsuits or defending the state. So certainly, uh, you know, the winner uh, of these races in the democratic side are very likely to win in November and determinative of the direction the state heads, both in terms of the federal government and and policies that are a little more closer to home.
1: Yeah, and I think in a lot of the races we talked about, defining progressivism, which is the sort of dominant uh, ideology of the Democratic Party today, certainly is a big part of the races. You know, what, uh, what makes a person a progressive? State Senate races where, you know, a progressive is running against someone who calls him or herself the same thing but happened to join the Independent Democratic uh, Conference. Um, you know, the, the label is debated there and obviously also in, in the other races. And um, it came up, I think, at least implicitly, in the Times endorsement of Cynthia Nixon, sorry, of, of <laughs> <laughs> Governor Almost. Cuomo, uh, uh, that came out this morning, released yesterday, obviously talking about this question of, you know, rhetoric and results, and um, you know, obviously giving giving Cuomo the edge on on the latter, certainly.
2: The New York Times editorial board endorsement of, of Governor Cuomo, at least in the Democratic primary, is fascinating. A lot of different things going on there. And raising, as you say, a number of questions that voters need to reckon with as they head to the polls next Thursday. Again, assuming we're talking about Democratic primary voters, which is really where it's all at right now. Uh, you know, there's a few legislative seats that have Republican primaries around the city. There's one on Staten Island. There's one in Queens, I believe, et cetera. But, but the main races right now are Democratic primaries. Republicans have avoided primaries for the statewide seats to, to coalesce behind their candidates. Uh, the fa- There are just fascinating choices in these statewide races and in a bunch of legislative races for Democrats. One of those choices, of course, is this race for lieutenant governor for the Democratic nomination, and that's what our show today is really going to be focused on. In just a moment, we're going to be joined by incumbent lieutenant governor Kathy Hochul, then we'll have a conversation that I had with— City Council Member Jumaane Williams, who's challenging her in the primary. And at the end of the show today, we'll take some calls. We'll talk about the two interviews, and we'll set the stage for, for primary day in a week. So I believe we have Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul on the line. Lieutenant Governor, you're on Max and Murphy with Ben Max and Jarrett Murphy. Thanks for joining us.
3: Very happy to be back. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing well, thank you.
2: It's good to talk Great. to you again. Um, so we're a week from primary day, just about Uh, We want to give you a a chance to give our listeners here on WBAI your pitch for why you deserve uh, the nomination again as lieutenant governor in the Democratic primary.
3: Well, it's very simple. It's all about our record of accomplishment over the last four years. It was four years ago when the voters, primary voters and general election voters of the state of New York elected me to be part of a ticket and to run with Governor Cuomo, and we made promises. And we've kept those promises, and I think that's what's being recognized is that we have the experience, the uh, the leadership skills, but also a record to be able to talk about and say this is what we get done when we work together. And that is a defining difference in how I view my role as a partner to the governor, to continue to be an ally of his to get things done for the people of the state of New York as opposed to an adversarial role. And I think that's the difference that voters embrace. I've spoken to many, including uh, hundreds of people at senior centers and at subway stops and all over, and they like the results that we've been able to accomplish, increasing the minimum wage to $15, highest in the nation, the most generous paid family leave program in America that's changing families' lives, uh, making sure that we have a program that offers middle-class families the first time to be able to go to college at a SUNY or community school without having to pay tuition. And so we've we've got a lot that's been done, but at the end of the day, it is all about our record and the ability to take on Donald Trump. And that is something as a former member of Congress from a tough, tough district, the most Republican district in New York, I love a good fight. I'm used to fighting Republicans and I say bring it on.
1: Madam Lieutenant Governor, you mentioned their defining difference between you and your opponent. And speaking of, of definitions, one interesting thing about this race is this is not an office that typically gets as much attention as the governor or, or some other state offices. And so how you define the job and what your job looks like day to day, I think, is something I'd, I'd like to ask about. Obviously, you have statutory duties as lieutenant governor, but I'm curious if you can talk about what, what does your portfolio look like and what role have you played in some of those successes you mentioned?
3: Very happy to talk about it. First of all, statutorily, I am required to step in if necessary to fill the role of governor. And so that's where people need to make their initial judgment, say, does she have the temperament, the disposition, the record, and the the knowledge to be able to have the experience to be the governor of the state of New York? And the answer on that is yes. Secondly, I do preside over the New York State Senate officially. But thirdly, the most important is to champion causes that better the lives of people in the state of New York. And as the only woman in statewide office, I have felt felt a special responsibility, particularly in this era of Donald Trump, and we are at risk of losing rights that we've had in our state since 1970, the right to choose. Those are very much endangered with the new Supreme Court nominee likely to become a member of the Supreme Court. And so I have championed and fought for these issues. I'm on the front line of battles to protect women's right to choose, uh, reproductive health, making sure that they're paid equally for the work that they do, eradicating sexual assault on college campuses, working on sexual harassment policies. So I've embraced these issues as a woman, but also championing issues like fighting the heroin opioid epidemic that we have in our state right now. And this is something that touched my family very personally. We lost a nephew just a couple years ago, and I know the pain that families go through. So the governor and I spoke about me taking a leadership role and going all over the state of New York, formulating policies based on conversations with people in the recovery business, uh, people who are families that have been affected, people who are in recovery themselves. And we formulated a policy which was enacted by the legislature just over a year and a half ago, and we're making a difference. The numbers are starting to trend in the right direction. So those are just a couple of examples. In addition to I chair all the economic development councils in the state of New York, which brings me to all 62 counties and making announcements uh, which some people don't think it's good to make an announcement that something good is happening or people are back to work or a new center has opened or a workforce training center. But I happen to think those are positive outcomes. And so I'm going to continue to cut the ribbons because that means we're getting stuff done. So I, whatever the signature issue is, uh, I, I put on it this, this past last week and last night. I was involved in making sure that we got our speed cameras on in the city of New York when a million point one kids are going back to school. the governor asked me to be out front on that. I said, absolutely. I'm a mom. I fight for safety of our children every day of the week. And so these are issues that come up in addition to the statutory roles that I've already been performing.
1: Lieutenant Governor, the Times endorsement of your running mate, the governor, Andrew Cuomo, uh, that came out today, um, is lengthy and detailed. But it, it has a thrust in it that... Uh, Cuomo has reacted to a change in the prevailing political winds that he has moved left in response to Cynthia Nixon's candidacy and to um, other developments on the political landscape. Uh, From your vantage point, um, is that what you feel has occurred? Has Mr. Cuomo and and you along with him um, evolved during your time in office?
3: You know, let's take an issue of what defines a progressive. We've been fighting, for example, for our environment. We banned fracking when other states surrounding us are still uh, fracking in Pennsylvania. So I think I reject the notion that we, are, that we are simply reacting to someone else and that we've had our very progressive agenda, whether it's fighting for criminal justice reform. We raised the age a year ago, uh, something that wasn't expected to get done. We increased the minimum wage before the race began. That's a year old aid family leave we've been working on for years and what about some very tough issues like passing the safe act um that and i represent upstate new york as a member of congress that was a tough heavy lift for the governor to get done but he said we want to make sure that we protect all new yorkers and we have the toughest gun laws in the nation we look at an issue like marriage equality three years ahead of the rest of the nation so i think it's fair to look at the governor's record over the last eight years and i've been involved with him for the last four and say we have always been progressive This is who we are. This is part of our DNA. Movements start in our state, whether it's the women's rights movement, whether it's the LGBTQ movement, whether it's the environmental movement, the labor movement, civil rights movements were involved, engaged in New York State. The NAACP started not far from where I live today in Buffalo. So I would say that we have been at the forefront of progressive issues for a very long time, certainly before any election in 2018
2: began. You would acknowledge, though, Lieutenant Governor, that um, activism and energy on the ground, so to speak, has had an influence on governing, correct? That it's not necessarily a a top-down. In most of those instances you named, there were social movements that occurred that then really pushed the policy discussion. Would well, I, I
3: love the energy. I love the energy I see out there. I have been at marches with women. I have been, act, I have been one of those activists since my days in college uh, and as a young child fighting the Vietnam War at the side of my parents. So I know what activism looks like, and I love to see the young people, even high school students. After Parkland, I stood arm-in-arm arm with them as we dedicated a street on Long Island, for example, for the, uh, the son of a, a a young man who was killed there. And he was, a, he was a student, he was a teacher, I'm sorry, he was a teacher, and we named the street in Dix Hills after And I stood with the leaders of that movement, and I was so proud of these just teenagers who were taking on the NRA and working to fight and eradicate this whole perception that we cannot protect people by having tough gun laws, because we did it in New York. And that is the example that these young people from Florida have said to us that if you did it in New York, we should be able to do it in Washington. So this energy, we're on marching arm in arm with women, whether I marked with young people or Black Lives Matter as we've done. it's it's powerful. And I love to see it because I've been involved in these battles my entire life. Let's
2: let's stick with guns. You mentioned that a couple of times, the Safe Act and then more recent activism on that front. You part of what you were pushing earlier this year with the governor was this red flag bill that hasn't been passed but, you know, seems to be part of the potential agenda for another term. That is that is an issue on which you personally have had some evolution in terms of your your view of gun regulations. Correct? When you, as you mentioned, yeah. you did you did represent uh, in Congress for a term a very conservative, you know, largely conservative district. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your your evolution on gun regulations?
3: For sure, my position changed. I'm very proud that even when I ran for lieutenant governor, the NRA was working against my race. I have today an F rating. I wear that proudly and I have supported the state Safe Act from the very beginning since its inception so um, I you know took positions way back I said I re- re- rejected those and I, and I'm very proud to be able to stand with the governor and and protect the Safe Act and even enhance the Safe Act and make sure that people who are perpetrators of domestic violence do not have access to guns in my mind that is a no-brainer Half of all women killed by someone in this country is by someone who they had an intimate relationship past or present. And we need to do more to protect women. And the whole idea you raised the, the red flag bill. I stood on the steps of college campuses and high schools all over the state, and I said, how dare the Republicans in the New York State Senate not listen to the cries for help from parents and teachers and administrators, the ones who see firsthand when a young person is showing signs of instability or tendencies toward violence, why can't we say those children should be evaluated? And if necessary, if a judge finds that they have guns in their home, that they are removed. And we tried to get that through at the end of the last session. The Republicans rejected it, and I said, we will see you at the polls. And this November, I have been dedicating so much of my time to make sure that we toss out every Republican in the New York State Senate who does not stand on these issues and make sure that in January, when I have the gavel in my hand, I'm looking out and calling on Andrew Stewart-Cousins as the leader of the New York State Senate. That will be a very good day for the people of the state of New York. And so uh, last year and this year I've been working to elect Democrats, and particularly in Congress as well, because we have to do everything we can to build a firewall and have a Democratic Congress to thwart Donald Trump at every step of the way. I served in the minority. I was a Democrat in a Republican Congress, but Barack Obama was our president. And one of the reasons I'm a former member of Congress is that I refused to turn my back on the president when he needed my vote on the Affordable Care Act and asked me not to repeal it. Forty-six times I could have repealed that bill, and if I'd done it once, I'd probably still be a member of Congress. But I stood up for the people that I knew in my district did not like Obamacare, but they are benefiting from it, and that's something I would do all over again. So I embrace a good fight, and I believe that the governor and I are the, the individual's best position from experience. And our ability to take it on, take the the fight all the way to Washington, because not just for New York, but the rest of the country needs our leadership, whether it's on immigration, whether it's fighting for women's rights, whether it's protecting labor unions, we are at the forefront of those fights. I think that's another area where people are particularly proud of what we've done in in our overall record of accomplishment.
1: We're on the line with Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. You're listening to Max Murphy on WBAI. Uh, Madam Lieutenant Governor, you mentioned the experience you and the governor bring, and, and it is hard not to be impressed regardless of where you stand just at the tactical and strategic skill that the Cuomo team can bring to, to issues. And you've mentioned some of them, the SAFE Act, uh, the minimum wage uh, increase, the paid family leave program The issue of LLC donation reform is one that has been brought up a few times by the governor, certainly many more times by reform advocates, and there's not been any action on that. And what people wonder is, if that were truly a priority for the governor and for you, uh, would you have had more success in achieving reform, or would you have stopped taking those donations to kind of lead by example?
3: Well, we are certainly going to follow all the laws that are in place, but you're touching on an issue that I have been talking about since I was an attorney for Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan in my youth. And I was actually a staffer who helped craft language to have the first-ever campaign finance reform that had public financing of federal elections. Think about that. And this was a couple decades ago, where we actually knew back then that the influence of money was corrupting, and we needed to make sure that we took out the power of money in our political process. But fast forward today, if we can change the New York State Senate, if we can elect Democrats, I believe this will be early in our agenda to have these necessary reforms to take money out of politics. And we would support the LLC elimination of that loophole. But also, more disclosure. And I also believe a separate reform, but one that's important, our legislature needs to be full-time. Because when you think about the fact that If they take outside income, whether they're an attorney or someone like Shelly Silver, there are too many inherent conflicts of interest. We should pay them more, make it a truly full-time job, pay them definitely more than they're earning now, but also say no outside income. So there's a lot of different ways that we can get at this whole issue of the influence of money in politics, and I believe that if we have willing partners in the New York State Assembly, we already do, we take over the Senate, and we will make sure that this happens very early on. But tied in with that, is also our strong desire to have voting reforms in the state of new york we're talking about a primary in september people just had a primary last june they have a general election in november and it's on one day they only have one day on which to cast their votes and so we want to make sure that we have early voting just like they do in many other states where you can actually cast a ballot let's say it's 10 12 days prior to an election and that's a great accommodation for the countless individuals who get up every day, go to their jobs, have to take care of kids after school, go to you know, parent-teacher meetings or take care of elderly parents at night. There's nothing magical about one day of the week in order to cast your vote, whether it's a Thursday in September or a Tuesday in November. So I have a whole list of voting reforms I'm working on with the governor to make sure we get over the finish line. Again, I'm excited. I'm so energized by the thought of what it's going to be for the state of New York be able to accomplish even more than we've done, which is hard to believe, once we have a Democratic Senate. So you look at all the accomplishments we got through, that was with one hand tied behind our back. We've had to deal with the Republicans in the Senate and still got through incredibly progressive reforms that are bettering people's lives in New York. That's what my job is all about partnering with the governor and getting stuff done for New Yorkers.
2: So you have this um, competitive race with city council member Jermani Williams, and we don't really know how competitive it is. I mean, there was a poll, I think more than a month ago, it's maybe the only poll that's really been done on your race, and it showed roughly 50% of likely voters undecided. Now, I don't know if you have insights in terms of internal polling that you have a sense of how close this race is, but... You know, do you have uh, a sense of how competitive uh, your challenge is?
3: I'm feeling great about this election. I have spent an enormous amount of time in all 62 counties, but a laser focused on the city of New York, Long Island, Westchester, Rockland. And I am feeling good about the fact, first of all, we were able to raise over $2 million in a relatively short time. Labor unions have been coming out with major endorsements and promising the boots on the ground for the GOTV effort. I've been on TV for over a month now, so it's like today when I walked into senior centers on, uh, with Deborah Glick in, in Greenwich Village, I walk in and they all say, well, there's Kathy Hochul. And so I would say when polling was done a month ago, that was not the case, but that's because of hard work, showing up, going out there and meeting people in the streets and at the night show, summer events, and going to block parties and going to churches and I'm all about showing up, and people are now saying, well, I just saw you at the, uh, the West Indian Parade. Well, I just saw you in church. I just saw you at this event. So I'm enjoying that connection that you get in a small town. I'm starting to feel it in Brooklyn. I'm feeling it in Manhattan. And that says to me that our, uh, our efforts are starting to pay off. So we have a lot of support, aggressive get-out-the-vote initiatives. that's going to be undertaken very shortly. And I'm going to be at the subways again tomorrow, and I love it. I embrace campaigning. This is my 11th race. I've had a pretty good record except by losing congress by 1% but I'm I'm a, I'm a winner and I'm going to continue finishing strong and I'm really excited about the people who have their faith in me once again like they did 4 years
1: ago. So we have about 90 seconds left with Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul and I'm curious ma'am since you have been around the state keeping your ear to the ground I know focus primarily on the primary what do you think the prospects are for Democrats to take control of the state Senate, that all-important uh, upper house of the legislature you mentioned as being so such a linchpin to your hopes for uh, Governor Cuomo's third term? Do you have a, a prediction to make, or what, what does that feel like?
3: Oh, it feels good out there. And I will tell you, as uh, we'll get through this primary, and starting September 14th, uh, we'll be continuing to be laser-focused on, first of all, helping candidates raise money. That's important. I've already offered that I would headline events for them because I know how important that is, that they have the resources to go the distance. Uh, The governor and I are going to continue doing that. I've been out there helping Monica Martinez and Anna Kaplan on Long Island just recently. I was with them this weekend, and I'm going to head upstate, and I I know how to win upstate. I know the messaging. I know how to uh, win over voters in tough areas, and I'm going to continue, particularly the women who are running uh, because I feel I have a special responsibility as someone who's actually figured out this game. Uh, lifelong experience I have, I'm going to reach back and bring up my sisters because I am, you know, honored to be in public life. But being the only woman in a state elected office, and knowing that our state legislature is only 28% women in 2018, that's unconscionable. So I've been out recruiting women at all levels of government. And I'm going to continue doing that because I have a unique position, a unique, a unique platform, and I feel good about us taking back the Senate. But uh, you can count on the governor to make sure that that truly does happen. It's going to happen
2: this year. Okay. Well, we're going to have to leave it there with Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. We thank you so much for joining us. Good luck in the last week on the campaign trail.
3: Thank you very much.
2: You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI Radio, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio, coming to you at 99.5 FM. You just heard an interview with Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, and what you're about to hear is a conversation that I, Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, had just a little bit earlier today because of scheduling issues. We had to get Lieutenant Governor Hochul's primary challenger, City Council Member Williams into the studio just a little bit before showtime to record an interview with him. We wanted to have both candidates who will be on the primary ballot talk with you during this hour. So we have that conversation that I had with Council Member Williams coming up in just one second. And then after that conversation, we're going to open up the phones for calls about the Lieutenant Governor Primary or anything else you want to chat with us about for the final minutes of the show. So tune in here for the conversation with Jamani Williams and then give us a call after. So we are joined by city council member Jumaane Williams, Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor. Thanks for being with us.
0: Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on.
2: So we are basically a week from primary day. How is the campaign going? How do you feel about where things are at?
0: We are very excited. We seem to be only going up. So there's a lot of wind on our backs. Um, you know, some people are just starting to tune in to what's happening and realizing that the, the election is a week away. There's a blue wave traveling all across this country that polls aren't, haven't been able to pick up. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, if you're on the blue side, I think you're feeling really good right now. And so it's just a matter of uh, getting our message out, and we've been able, to, we have been able to do that quite effectively, actually. So
2: you say if you're on the blue side, but this is a Democratic primary, so both candidates are on the blue team. How do you measure the fact that you feel like you're going up? I mean, you said you feel like things are going well. What is it? How do you how do you measure that? There hasn't been a poll in the race in quite some time. The one major poll that we saw about a month or so ago showed 50% of those polled undecided between you and Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. So how do you have any sense of how it's going?
0: Well, I've been saying for about a year now that any blue just won't do, uh, meaning that I am running against a, a corporate establishment of Democrats that have a particular way of doing things, that is out of style now. And they are trying to adapt to what is in style. Uh, I don't go by style. I go by what's right. And I've called myself an active select official for quite some time, a productive one of that. Uh, There are many people who pushed back on that idea and are now adopting. And it's just amusing sometimes to see the governor, lieutenant governor, fumbling with concepts that they're, they're just not used to. And you see that playing out. Across the country, whether it's Stacey Abrams in Georgia, Andrew Gillum in Florida, Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts, you see people who have been uh, had the language and the, the 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 feelings and doing things the way we all think they are right to do, but are politically sometimes risky. Those are the people who are actually getting the benefit of the blue wave and the establishment Democrats. Uh, the corporate Democrats, those who have been out of touch for quite some time and left us unprotected to this orange madness, they've been on the losing end of that.
2: So it sounds like you're explaining that you've staked out your candidacy, like some of these others, you know, sort of on the left of the folks you're calling the sort of centrist corporate Democrats. So what is your campaign about? I mean, how do you capture it? You know, in that soundbite when you're meeting someone on a at a subway stop or wherever at a house party. I mean, how do you capture it in sort of sort of a short uh, you know, few sentences. What is this lieutenant governor campaign trying to unseat an incumbent from your own party? What is it really all about?
0: Well, one, I, I've been incumbent to become a council member, and so uh, do have some experience, and I'm, I'm planning to do that one more time. Uh, we're excited because when our message is heard, people understand it immediately. We have the benefit of most folks not knowing who the lieutenant governor is or what the the office does, and so we have the ability of the first time explaining it. And generally speaking, the current lieutenant governor, by her own wo- her own words, believes that the office should be the eyes and ears of the governor and should do what the governor has laid out to do. And I just simply reject that. And I want to be the eyes and ears of the people of the state of New York. I want to be the people's lieutenant governor. I want to be a partner with the governor and the legislature. But that doesn't mean that that's a blind rubber stamp. There has to be someone there hold people accountable for the promises that they make to the people of the state of new york so when they're doing that and their actions match the lip service then that's fine we're working together to get that done when that is not the case there has to be someone that says the emperor has no clothes there has to be someone that's keeping policies honest to what folks need in the state of new york and everybody understands that you know there are two sets of folks currently i and cross endorsed with Cynthia Nixon i 'm hoping that will be the next governor, and I ho- those people immediately understand as well. but there are some people for whatever reason uh, are supporting this governor. They also understand the need for the type of office that i 'm putting forth and that from Brooklyn to Buffalo, I have to tell you, people immediately understand that when I speak about the public advocate 's role in the city of New York, and that there 's nothing like that on the state of New York that also is a great selling point. Because Albany has been missing someone with the courage to point out that the Excelsior program being touted as universal uh, free tuition, only 3% of students actually get that across the state. To point out that while we're banning frat gas, I was endorsed to five uh, Capital Region elected officials who were receiving frat gas from uh, New York State, from Pennsylvania. To point out while we're touting paid family sick leave, that unions and agencies were allowed to opt out. So many places, some folks don't have it. Here in New York City, we had to struggle with UFT to come to agreement. Someone has to be there to take away uh, the smoke and mirrors or hopefully have a discussion privately to get it done. But when that's not happening, you can't just leave the people of the state of New York hanging.
2: I'm under the impression, as someone who watches state government closely, that that's the job of the state legislature, uh, the state comptroller, to a lesser extent, the state attorney general, but a little bit. Uh, are you saying that the folks who have filled the roles of state controller and the and the leaders in the state assembly and state senate just haven't been holding the governor accountable enough?
0: I, I believe that there hasn't been people with enough courage to point out that what the governor is saying is not what's happening. They, we're looking at a house on fire and pretending that it's not. We're looking at someone who has shut down the Moreland Commission as they were about to do the job they were put together to do. We'll look at someone who says, uh, I'm doing all I can about corruption. As corruption swirls around him, the judge said that corruption has now touched every one of the three men in the room, uh, Dean Scalos, Shelley Siver, and Andrew Cuomo. We're looking at someone who uses Keem Browder in the state of the state uh, and say we're going to do barrel form and it doesn't happen. We're looking at someone who takes money from the Buffalo building and the Christian run. Like, everybody's saying this. People are now pushing back on the IDC, endorsing their challengers, saying this is wrong, not holding the person accountable who made it happen. So because of the way it's situated in Albany, I think someone who has showed the ability to do this and have the courage to do it is best suited in the lieutenant governor's position. It's not the comptroller, and it's not the AG. They have very specific roles. I am... Suggesting to redefine the way people think of a lieutenant governor's office.
2: And so you're you're painting it as this idea of elect you, if if you get elected, to be clear, there's basically you know you're let you're elected separately in the primary, but then you would be on a Democratic ticket with either Cynthia Nixon, as you said, who you've cross endorsed with, or with Andrew Cuomo. So if you are the next lieutenant governor, you the governor will be either Cynthia Nixon or Andrew Cuomo. I mean that's that's a given, right? Yes, if you're in absolutely. that role. So you've you've painted the idea of becoming Democrat versus Democrat as something of an person, like the public advocate in the city of New York. So there's that part of the role that you want to create, that you want to be different than previous lieutenant governors. Are there a few policy issues on the state level that listeners and voters should know that you would make top priority? Or would you really just see the role as kind of holding the governor accountable and speaking up on issues of the day?
0: There's absolutely policies uh, that I want to uh, bring to bear. I would say many of the things that I've heard the governor say now during election time, if the governor actually meant it, I'd be the type of lieutenant governor he'd want to work with because I have experience navigating tough political waters. Uh, even what type when of people, stuff? Uh, where, when it comes to uh, legalization of marijuana, for instance, which we shouldn't just be looking at legalizing it, we have to make sure we we are unfortunately going to be following like we usually do other states. Seattle has expunged the records of people going back 30 years. Uh, when it comes to uh, bail reform, uh, you know, uh, Kim Browder has endorsed uh, the likes of Cynthia instead of Cuomo because he just hasn't got it done. When it comes to codifying Roe v. Wade, um, the other thing that people don't know is that the, the lieutenant governor is the presiding person of the state senate. The current lieutenant governor has done that less than any other lieutenant governor. And it's unfortunate because during the last week we had an opportunity for that deciding vote. You are uh, a tiebreaker in a procedural vote. During
2: the last week of session back in June. Yes.
0: Yeah. but And had that role been taken seriously, I believe we would have been better prepared to get Roe v. Wade passed, to get bail reform done. Instead, we had to rely on the Republican parliamentarian to guide us through how this works. And I, that's something I want to take a lot more seriously. I would invite listeners to go to my website, uh, com. I have a plan called Fairness Feast that we can collect right now $20 billion. That's with a B. Is it not pie in the sky? The Wall Street stock transfer tax we've been collecting since uh, until the 1980s when we just stopped. We literally collect $14 billion and give it right back. That can affect so many things from Cuomo's transportation crisis, Cuomo's MTA, the educational issues that we have, Uh, Cuomo's housing crisis. Uh, It can address the issues of climate change by building out renewable energy and giving the state a new, new deal. While we're building out the renewable energy, we're providing jobs for folks. Uh, And the reason we haven't been able to get those fairness fees is because we need the political courage. And there's also an arbitrary spending cap not to be confused with the property tax cap, which I support. But with that property tax cap and that spending cap, it's a squeeze. The governor arbitrarily just decided the local governments can't spend more than 2% on their budget. That makes absolutely no sense because they're saying if you can collect more, you can't even spend it for no reason. There was no discussion in the legislature. I believe the decisions he makes is primarily because he wants to run for president. We need to focus on New York State. Uh, the rent laws are up next year. That's the second critical thing that we have to focus on. The housing is probably the most palpable failure I've seen in this administration uh, all over the state. We have to strengthen it here in New York City, uh, and we have to bring it to most of the state that doesn't happen. And, of course, uh, gun violence and policing issues are another two issues that I've have provided a lot of leadership on. And the easy way that people talk about this is legislation like the SAFE Act, which is fine. We need legislation. But it's harder to talk about the root causes. Gun violence is down in New York State simply because here in New York City, uh, myself and others have provided leadership on how to do that. And so they told us, well, if we did what we did, things would go crazy when we dealt with the abuse to stop question the risk and address gun violence in a different way. Well, six or seven years later, we're the safest city we've been since 1951. If you're a victim of crime, that data that, that means nothing to you. We understand that. But we're going in a direction. All the, everywhere else in the state, even though safe-ass pact, if you go to Buffalo, 20 people shot and killed in a month in a population that has 250,000 people. If you extrapolate that to New York City, that's thousands of people. Albany, suffered. gun violence is up because people are using talking points, but it's real lives. And so you have to have people to have leadership on these type of issues.
2: So we're talking with Jamani Williams, city council member from Brooklyn, running for the Democratic nomination for Lieutenant Governor. We've got a few more minutes with Jumaane. Uh So a couple questions to follow up on things you you've mentioned one is you seem to indicate that there's some people who are supporting andrew cuomo but you think are behind you for lieutenant governor because the way that you're outlining the way that you would fulfill the role of lieutenant governor uh speaks to them and they think that governor cuomo if re-elected could really use more of a check is that is that accurate did you did you say yeah, that before I, so one,
0: I, just, I just want to be clear cynthia nixon I, I'm hoping Cynthia Nixon will be the next governor of New York State, and that is who I'm supporting. And I would love to have the people who are supporting her as well, and I believe we have a great synergy. There are people I know that are – I don't think this governor's provided leadership in anything, by the way. I think he's provided followership at the very best, and we have a lieutenant governor that believes the job is to follow the followership of the follower, and we need real leadership. Uh, but there are people who are supporting the governor. Um, a lot of people respond to his bullying and, and fear tactics – that people are responsive to it. At the same time, they do know that many things that he says, like it's almost Trumpian, he'll say one thing today and just flip it the next day and pretend like it never happened, and people know that about him and understand that the vision I have for Lieutenant Governor will be very beneficial to the state of New York. Just keeping people honest in what they said they wanted to do, that's what I've done for my career, even when it's politically difficult, even when people say, Don't do this. Don't take this on. uh, It's a difficult thing to do. Uh, People don't realize. uh, People sometimes believe that only uh, white upstate communities are conservative. That's not true. And I I represent a Caribbean district. They have very conservative views. I've had to convince people that stop, question, frisk was being abused and not helpful. That's a that's a hard thing to do. I don't believe I got elected to get reelected to get high office. I got elected to do a job, the best job that I can be, and representing the people I represent. I hope. That does get me elected. I hope that it does get me to a high office if that's what I seek. But that's not the main job.
2: So the a, a big, big chunk, and it's evident by where candidates are spending their, their time, but a big, big chunk of the primary elected is gonna, electorate is going to be in New York City, and that's that's been clear from where yourself and Kathy Hochul and Andrew Cuomo and Cynthia Nixon and others, the AG candidates, have been spending their time. But you've also traveled around the state a bit. You've mentioned Buffalo a couple of times, and obviously Kathy Hochul, who you're trying to unseat, comes from that Erie County area, was a one-term representative in Congress from there, was a county clerk. Um, but just explain, what's what's one or two things that you've learned from you know your travels? You have done some travels around the state. What's a couple of things that you've learned about issues affecting New Yorkers outside of New York
0: City? We've made a bunch of trips uh, across, this, across states, Syracuse, Rochester, Albany, Hudson Valley. Uh, I believe we're going to Ithaca uh, tomorrow. So we're, we're leaving no stone unturned. But I, I will tell you something. There are differences wherever you go based on culture. What's the immediate problem? What's the local structure of the government? I have to tell you, though, I found a theme from most places. That is most people want a few things that are the same. They want to have good food on the table to feed their families. They want a a safe roof over their head and live in a safe community. And they want their children to go to a good school and do better than they do. And I have to make sure I find out, sort of like in my district, I have different ethnicities, different religions, uh, different races, and different beliefs. I have to find out in each one of the areas, what is the blockade that's preventing people from living their best life based on the things that I said. So while it's Cuomo's MTA, here in uh, New York City, it's Cuomo's NFTA in Buffalo. Uh, it is Cuomo's lack of providing the needed resources to f- pave the roads in Syracuse and other places. That's a huge problem. Immigration shows itself in surprisingly different ways. We know what it is here in New York City. We have a little bit more protection as a sanctuary city. We have to do much better. Across the state, it's even worse. In Syracuse, Rochester, there are ICE officers who are waiting in bus stations to greet people by seeing if they can deport them. But if you go further North Country, immigration is showing its its face uh, by even conservatives and Republicans who own farmland but are being raided by ICE and then they're losing um, the people they need to make their business. And so the themes have been similar, but depending where you are, there are variations. And my job is, again, not to be the eyes and ears of the governor, but to be to be the eyes and ears of those people and make sure their voices are being heard at the highest levels of government
2: last couple questions are you uh, you've raised some money but nowhere near what Kathy Hochul has in the bank she's obviously uh, you know had offices she's run for before she's now an incumbent for a statewide seat she's got Andrew Cuomo support Um, so she's got significant fundraising advantages. Uh, could that be, is, is that possibly going to be your undoing in this race that she has a lot more money to spend plus the backing of Cuomo and the state party? Are you concerned about um, not being able to get your message out enough?
0: I mean, you're always concerned about fundraising. We knew from the beginning that we would never raise as much money as uh, the lieutenant governor or as the governor. One, we're not accepting money from corporations or big real estate, we're also not going to accept nefarious money which they have seemed to accept on a regular basis. With that said, we said we are going to raise enough money to run a competitive and ultimately winning campaign. That is exactly what's happening. Um, The last poll that you mentioned had us pretty much neck and neck. Uh, The incumbent was at 30%, I was at 21%. Half of the electorate were undecided. For an insurgent, that is awesome news uh, to hear that uh, because that means that people just don't know who the incumbent is. We're doing wonderful, uh, digital media campaign. Um, we are also on the ground in a way that we know the lieutenant governor isn't because she hasn't spent years as a community organizer, activi- as an activist, building these this infrastructure. I happen to have been a, a Bernie delegate. That infrastructure was still in place, so it really gave us a boost. People don't know, but I also ran a statewide organization called Tenants and Neighbors dealing with housing issues, so some of that infrastructure was there, and we built on that. And what people understand when I say any blue just won't do is that I know that every Republican is not a bigot, but every bigot voted for Donald Trump. And that's what they should have done. If I was a bigot, I liked what the bigot was saying. What people understand is that the Democrats didn't have the courage of their convictions. Irrespective of what candidate they chose, they refused to adopt the message that they're now trying to adopt. And had that message been adopted before, we wouldn't be in this situation. And people understand that. So they understand that folks like me, folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, folks like Stacey Abrams, Andrew Gillum, Ayanna Presley, are saying it's time to, when the establishment says, you know, we need party unity, understand that that means activists shut up, and then adopt the language of the activists when it's become more safe to do so. I was astonished to hear the lieutenant governor says that she was a face of fight for 15. I was shocked because all of the establishment candidates Um, uh, elected officials, politicians, said that it couldn't be done. When I was trying to get workers back into Wendy's who had been fired because they were trying to unionize for the 515, and I ended up starting a boycott, people looked at us like they were crazy. They literally say people don't want to pay more for their burgers. So it was us who did the fighting. And the 515 looked like people who wanted to unionize and union workers. They were primarily black and brown uh, workers in fast food. They didn't look like the lieutenant governor. And people are beginning to understand that. Uh, That is a powerful force, um, and I have no problem uh, riding that powerful force because that's who I've been uh, since I got into office and since I was uh, a tenant organizer and a student activist in Brooklyn College, City (laughs) University of New York. All
2: right. We're going to have to leave it there. I have lots more questions for you, but that's all the time we have. Jamani Williams, city council member from Brooklyn, Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor on the ballot on Thursday, September 13th. Thank you for joining
0: us. Thanks for having me.
1: We're back on Max and Murphy here on WBAI, 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. You've just been listening to a conversation my colleague Ben Max of Gotham Gazette taped earlier today with Jumani Williams, a Brooklyn council member and a Democrat running for lieutenant governor. Earlier this afternoon, you heard live on the phones here from Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, his opponent in that September 13th primary. Uh, Ben, interesting conversation. You you did a great job with that interview. Thank you so much. David Frost. I appreciate it. Yes,
2: really pressed him there. Um, so, I mean, listen, we've seen with these two candidates, and I moderated a debate between them last week, we've seen very different visions for the role of lieutenant governor. They have very different backgrounds. Now, we don't want to make too much of their differences because they are both Democrats and they are both pushing a lot of progressive policy, but they have pretty stark differences in terms of the general place on the spectrum of political philosophy that you'd put them and their resumes and their backgrounds, the communities they represent, et cetera. So it's a very significant contrast on both those fronts.
1: Definitely. And I think it's the the first thing you mentioned, the, the definition of the job. You know, what Jumani Williams was talking about there basically was selling to voters the idea of introducing some tension in the state house where really there there hasn't been before. Uh, you know, that's a theme also in the attorney general's race. Obviously, the extent to which different Democrats running in the primary, if they are elected in November. Uh, how much they will be a check or balance on the governor. Uh, the lieutenant governor traditionally has has not been viewed as that. Maybe there's an argument based on the increased power of the governor. The governor in New York is, is very, very powerful compared to governors elsewhere, a lot of wide power over budgeting and policy. Uh, it is interesting that there actually is an anecdote from New York state history that uh, The lieutenant governor for Mario Cuomo in his first term was actually lieutenant governor that was the running mate for Ed Koch. Um, They both won, ended up having a kind of... um, uh, forced partnership. And uh, that guy, his name is Alfred DiBella, who's from Westchester County. He left after, uh, I think, after a half term uh, because it was so miserable to be with a governor he didn't agree with. But Williams seems to be spoiling for that kind of a fight.
2: No, he he would embrace it. And, you know, there is a very real possibility that we have Jamani Williams as lieutenant governor and Andrew Cuomo as governor when when the dust settles here. One thing people need to know is that the lieutenant governor and governor are nominated separately in the party primaries, but then they become a ticket. So if Jumaane Williams defeats Kathy Hochul in the primary and Andrew Cuomo defeats Cynthia Nixon, they're a ticket. And they run against the Republican ticket and, you know, the Green Party ticket and others that might be on the ballot. So we could very, very well see that. And there are questions around if that is the case, how much all the things that Jumaane Williams has been saying about Andrew Cuomo in, in negative ways— could hurt their chances in the general election. I mean, you already have all this Democratic infighting, Cynthia Nixon's challenge, et etc., that Republicans and others can use against a Cuomo or even a Nixon if she wins. Um, so there's some very interesting questions there. I've raised this. I asked this at the debate to, to Jumaane Williams, questioning really his rationale behind trying to change this position constitutionally and the fact that they are elected as a ticket it just the position is really not designed to be that now that doesn't mean you can't try to make it that but the governor could sort of zero out your budget and take away your executive office and things like that and I just don't know that that's really where it's supposed to come from as I indicated in that interview it's really the legislature that's supposed to be more of the check
1: on the governor fascinating too we have to mention this because Kathy Hochul mentioned it early in her time with us one of the statutory powers or responsibilities of lieutenant governor obviously is to step in to a temporary or not temporary vacancy at the top job. Andrew Cuomo has said that only fate itself would remove him from that post. He did not indicate in the debate last week any willingness to run for president, but obviously it is fascinating to think about that were he to Leave office for any reason, including because he sought or was was invited to to take national office. That one of these two people would become our governor, and that could be Jumani Williams. It's a, a fascinating uh, a feature of the race. Also, the politics of this—you uh, know—the the money is such a huge uh, differentiation between them. I believe it's about five to one now that they have on hand, based on the most recent reports. Hochul mentioning that she's on TV, which she was uh, for the past week or so. In a race like this that most people aren't paying much attention to until now, that's, that's hugely important. Also fascinating that she talked about all the time she's spending in the city. And Williams, I think, did a pretty good job of rattling off some pretty good upstate issues. He's been doing his homework there, something that Cynthia Nixon's been faulting, faulted for not doing.
2: We have no idea what's going to make or break these races. I mean, we know a huge amount of the Democratic primary vote comes from the five boroughs. But if it's a really close race— Maybe some of the time you spend in Ithaca or Rochester or Buffalo, you know, the second biggest city in the state or Syracuse, you know, we could keep going, will make the difference. I mean, you know, a couple of campaign appearances, some media coverage, a couple of radio spots, who knows, you know, where you get those votes you need. I mean, this could be a really, really close race. We have no idea where things stand. And I would even argue that in the gubernatorial race. I mean, we just don't know what we can buy into with polls. We don't know how much it matters that Cuomo is spending 20 plus million dollars to you know a few million from nixon we just don't know in this era where there's so much energy in the democratic party especially on the left we just don't know what's going to happen so he's obviously made some rounds upstate but we know that the real bulk of the primary is happening in new york city
1: right because in a, and especially in a primary year uh where the is on a weird day a thursday <laughs> nobody knows what turnout's going to look like and that messes up all those models uh so we're coming down to, you know, the, the big day on the 13th. We'll be back with you next week to have a primary eve show setting up some of this stuff but between now and then uh ben city limits will be looking at the attorney general candidates we're running a series looking at deeply at their backgrounds that will be running out this week next week some head-to-head policy comparisons of cuomo and and nixon uh we have an investigation of the llc loophole coming out later this week and we also are inaugurating a a new uh feature on our site via the um the tool called ground source allowing people to text to us and have kind of a text conversation Uh, if you want to Text to us about not who you're voting for But why you're voting What's shaping your vote Kind of your time to finally talk Now that the talking heads are are receding to the background uh, If you text to uh, if you text, text the word choice to 646-916-3930 We can have a whole text conversation and Become all kinds of techie and friendly that way
2: Yeah, and you can find that number Jared has tweeted it out on his uh, At Jared Murphy Twitter account You should absolutely engage with city limits in that way That's a fascinating new tool And those stories that you just outlined sound fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to this LLC investigation. Your series that's already started on the AG candidates is great. Um, We are also looking at the attorney general race. That has been something at Gotham Gazette that we've focused a lot on. It's an incredibly important primary and will be an incredibly important general election that can fly under the radar here uh, with people just not paying that much attention during the summer, uh, and it's not a presidential race, et cetera. So we have a piece coming out looking at the four Democratic candidates' legal background and really what is their expertise, what's their experience uh, as lawyers, as attorneys, um, because they would be the sort of chief lawyer for the state if they are elected attorney general. We're going to take a good side-by-side look at everything going on with Jemani Williams and Kathy Hochul. So we're going to give sort of a scorecard, last-minute voter guide to this lieutenant governor race, And we've got some other interesting things coming up as well. And that will lead us to next week's show, which will be the night before the primary, all sorts of exciting, uh, our own sort of Christmas Eve of sorts. Um, And folks should be ready to call in next Wednesday when we're on back at 5 p.m. Tell us what you're thinking about the night before the primary, who you're supporting, why, questions you have for us. It'll be a great show next week.
1: So voters, start doing your homework. You've been listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM. Join us next week. Thanks for being here.
4: WBAI New York, your community bulletin board. On Friday, September 7th, join Nicole R. Fleetwood at Revolution Books for a discussion about Aperture's Prison Nation magazine. At the moment when 2.2 million people are incarcerated, 3.8 million are on probation, and 870,000 are on parole, how can images tell the story of mass incarceration? Aperture Magazine's spring issue addresses this and the unique role photography plays in creating a visual record. The program is from 7 to 9 p.m. and Revolution Books is located at 437 Malcolm X Boulevard, Lenox Avenue at 132nd Street. For more information, go to aperture.org slash events. On September 8th, writer, storyteller, and queer legend Jay Toole leads the Social Justice Tour's Queer History of the Village. This is a walking tour of the West Village that stops at important places, shares stories, and important historical moments. The walk is from 2 to 5 p.m., and you can sign up at socialjusticetours.com. The 28th Annual NYC Century Bike Tour is on Sunday, September 9th, starting at 6 in the morning and going till 6 in the evening. It's the nation's only all-urban 100-mile ride. The NYC Century Bike Tour takes riders through the diversity of New York City neighborhoods. There are five routes ranging from the full 100-mile route to a family-friendly protected 15-mile loop. For complete information, go to nyccentury.org. A grant writing clinic in partnership with Northern Manhattan Arts Alliance is at Word Up Community Bookshop on Monday, September 10th from 5 to 9 p.m. Here you can learn techniques for successful grant writing. The program will be in English and Spanish and bring two printed copies of the grant you are working on. Word Up Community Bookstore is located at 2113 Amsterdam Avenue in Manhattan. For more information, go to wordupbooks.wordpress.com or call 212-567-4394. The truth has changed. That's Josh Fox's new documentary, and it's a performance piece, book, and film in progress by the legendary filmmaker and activist. It's a solo monologue that traces the arc of American propaganda and misinformation from 9-11 to Trump from the perspective of the front lines. For more information about The Truth Has Changed, find The Truth Has Changed Tour on Facebook or go to The Truth Has Changed Tour. This has been your WBAI Community Bulletin Board. If you have an event you would like us to announce, send it two weeks in advance to cbb at wbai.org. Earthmum for WBAI New York.
1: But I want to
3: say WBI. I like BAI. The great studs Terkel. I know it's known as a kooky, goofy station, and yet it's so exciting for that very reason. I like BAI. I wish there were more stations like our number, but more like this, with the
0: outsider's views it's expressed often and frequently. And once again, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. Thank you, Stux turkel for those kind words. Even beyond, you're still speaking truth to power. And, yes, we're a little weird, and we keep it that way. There's a reason why we're listener-sponsoring.